we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. No, 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 no. This isn't Christmas. Come on, people, we're two weeks away from Easter. We're, no, no, I started... You blame him? Really? You don't blame the pastor. Come on. Yes, I started it because I'm starting it by telling you about a different birth story. Okay? Not the whole... This sermon is not about Silent Night. It's about a different birth story. It's another story that we're going to look at today. It's not the Christmas birth. It's a different story altogether. It's a story about a new birth. It's a birth that really is... uh, illustrated in the story of a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He came to, at night to see Jesus. It was a quiet night. It was a holy encounter. A calm discussion. It was a light in the darkness adding brightness to Nicodemus's life. See, that's why I started it. And as we dig into this story, I want to tell you why we're doing this. Why are we looking at the story of Nicodemus? We're looking at a number of different stories in this series called Running on Empty. And we're looking in this through different encounters that ordinary people have with Jesus when Jesus was walking the earth. And you're going to recognize during this series, if you haven't already, that Jesus was not one of these teachers who just came into the village square, proclaimed a truth, and then just disappeared and nobody could ever have interaction with them. But what we're looking in these, this series is we're looking at personal interactions that Jesus has with people. Because what Jesus would do is he would find himself in conversations with men and women on the sidewalks, in their homes. And what we're going to see today is even in a dark hideaway spot that for Nicodemus was actually a very safe place. A safe place to be honest with Jesus about some things going on in his life. And what you notice in this series is every encounter is different. Every encounter is very personal. And in every situation, a person's life was changed. And that's why we're looking at this. We're looking at each of these individual circumstances because we hope as well is that every one of these would be personal for you. Every one of them would be a little different for each of you, but every one of these situations would be a life change for you, for me, for all of us. That's why we're looking in this. And so I'm going to go ahead and forecast for you. I'm going to give you a heads up. This is what this sermon is about. The sermon today is about how can you know for sure that you have eternal life? You can know for sure. 100% certainty that you have eternal life. So that's where we're going today. And you're going to see as we look at this person, Nicodemus, why why this comes to, this is the, the focus of today. And I want to also let you know is that at the end of this sermon, 
for anybody that might be intrigued, that's never taken a step to absolutely be sure that you have eternal life, I want to let you know, I'm going to give you a chance to nail that down for sure right at the end of this sermon. I don't want you to be shocked by that. I don't want you to be surprised by that. I actually want you to be ready for that. See, here's what I believe. I want you to know that Jesus alone can fill and satisfy any emptiness in your life. And I'm going to challenge you today to lay aside anything, absolutely anything, that does not satisfy and allow Jesus to fill your life up to its fullness. So the story of Nicodemus is where we are. Nicodemus, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a Jewish leader. He's known as a Pharisee. Uh, and we're going to read this in just a little bit. But he's known as a Pharisee. And he's a leader in this Jewish uh, 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 belief. And he is a Pharisee, a member of the ruling council. In other words, he's kind of like a, a senator in the highest ranks of this uh, really high up religious order. And as a teacher and leader in his religion, he thought everything made sense. But after various encounters of watching Jesus daily, watching Jesus do miracles, listening to Jesus' teachings, he began to really question whether he understood everything in the way that he thought. And he was beginning to wonder if everything he understood was truly the way it seemed. And so Nicodemus comes to talk with Jesus, and he asks a few questions. We're going to pick this story up in John chapter 3. And it starts with, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. So a couple of things to recognize in this. Nicodemus, and not just by himself, but others, other religious leaders, other Pharisees are recognizing that Jesus is doing some great miracles. And this has really sparked Nicodemus' curiosity. So he pays him a visit at nighttime. It's a little less threatening for a religious leader. It's a little less threatening for a person of his ranking because people see him in and out all the time. And for them to watch him go and to talk with Jesus, well, his whole reputation could be put on the line. And so he comes at night at a time that's a little more comfortable for him to actually just be honest with Jesus. You can understand this. You've invited uh, many friends. You'll get this chance in two weeks. You'll invite friends to Easter service. you invite friends, neighbors to Christmas service. And for some reason, Christmas and Easter are a little more comfortable for friends and neighbors who don't regularly go to church. Well, I'll go to church on those two days because it, doesn't, it seems like everybody should be on those times. It's a little more comfortable. Many of you, many of us, are the exact same way. We used to be people who were, okay, the only time I'll come to church is Christmas and Easter because everybody doesn't expect more than that. And that's part of what's going on here with Nicodemus. It's a little less threatening of a time for him to come and to talk with Jesus and to be honest. Part of what's happening, um, uh, Aaron told you a little bit about the 40 acres. Part of what's happening even with the hunt that's happening next Saturday is a little bit safer place to invite friends. It's a little safer place that people may not, well, I'm not real sure I want to come to church on Sunday, but hey, I'll come to an Easter egg hunt. 
It's a little less threatening. And it's a great opportunity to invite some friends. As we're building on the 40 acres out there, we're hoping in two to three years there's going to be a building. We're part of, I'm a part of the team that's hiring an architect right now, hiring contractors. And part of our conversations are, how do we create a building on this acreage that is really safe for folks who might be threatened by church, but it's a little bit safer spot for people to come. Our Huntersville campus, they're about to finish an addition of which they are putting a coffee shop right in the main lobby of the building in order to open the building seven days a week. Why? Because not everybody's comfortable coming on Sunday morning for a church service. But they'd be comfortable showing up in a great atmosphere to maybe sit with their friend and just have a cup of coffee. And our prayer around all of these places is that people may actually, just like Nicodemus, find a little safer place to say, Jesus, I'm curious. I've watched you do this and I've watched you do that. And it's really changing my thinking And so I want to talk with you. And so here's where we find Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up and he begins with Jesus with this huge compliment. The whole conversation starts with this huge compliment. Rabbi or teacher, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. Nobody can do what you've been doing unless they're from God. And so he's right in this. But Jesus is about to let him know that I'm not just from God. I've been with God. I am God. But Nicodemus starts this with a compliment. And now he's waiting for Jesus to return the compliment. Jesus, we know you're a great teacher. Well, Nicodemus, I know that you too are a great teacher. That's what he's waiting for. It's kind of like when you tell somebody you love them. Many times we tell people, well, I love you. And really what we're waiting for is, I'm telling you that because I'm waiting for you to say, I love you too. I was 16 years old. I've been dating this girl for a couple of months. And so in this, because of my vast um, knowledge and experience in dating, I knew after these two months we needed to go to the next level. And so I knew it's time. I'm going to say those three words to her tonight. And I still remember so vividly going on our day, and I remember it was going to be toward the end of the day that I was going to say those three words And they came out, shaking, nervous, I love you. It was out there. It was waiting for a response. (laughs) The next three words she would say to me would change our relationship for all of eternity. And the three words came, no, you don't. true story. Not the response I wanted. Not what I was expecting. She was right. But it wasn't what I was expecting. I love you. No, you don't. Not the three words. But that's all right. I got the last laugh. I've been married to that woman for 27 years now. (laughs) Tell me I don't love you. I'll marry you and I'll show you. First time I ever told my wife I loved her, right there. So Nicodemus 
has told Jesus, you're a great teacher, and he's waiting for this compliment to come back. But Jesus changes the topic altogether. He shoots right through the small talk because he knows Nicodemus, and he knows why Nicodemus is really there. And he replies, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Huh? Jesus, you're a great teacher from God. Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Not necessarily the response he was waiting for. But Jesus does this all the time with people. As you read about him in the scriptures, you find that he knows what people are thinking. And he knows that Nicodemus is really there to find out, how do I get eternal life? I know, Jesus, that sooner or later, one day, I'm going to die. That is a given fact. I know sooner or later, everybody around me is going to die. It is a given fact. But how do I know for sure that I have eternal life? How can I know for sure that when I leave this earth, that I could be in the kingdom of God? See, Jesus, I've heard you talk about the kingdom of God. In fact, as you look at the teachings of Jesus, it's the number one topic. Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus has been watching him. Nicodemus has been learning from him. Nicodemus has been listening to him. And he's thinking, my teaching is not lining up with what you're teaching, Jesus. And I'm very curious. Now, Nicodemus, you notice he doesn't hesitate. He jumps right into the conversation with Jesus. He continues and he just says, right, responding right back, how can somebody be born again when they're old, Jesus? You can't seriously be talking about a person re-entering their mother's womb? No, Nicodemus. You know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a flesh birth here. People give birth to people. Spirit give birth to spirit. God is spirit, and he gives birth to spirit. To enter the kingdom of God, a person has to be born again spiritually. And Nicodemus responds in some of the way that many of us will respond. How can that be? How does that work? Jesus, this this makes no sense. That's not what I've understood at all. That's not what I teach people at all. That's a very foreign concept. Ever had one of those nights? Ever had one of those nights where your whole thinking about life drastically changes? Something happens to where everything that made sense in life to you all of a sudden drastically got altered. A silent night. A holy night. Where everything maybe seemed calm, but things became a little bit more bright. Sometimes those are good nights. Sometimes those are nights where you find out some great news and your life now just gets more clarity. Some of you high school seniors, you've been experiencing that over these last few months as you've been waiting to hear where is my next four years of my life going to be spent. As you're waiting to hear what college you go to. And, and some of you are really excited about what you found out because now I know what the next four years of life will look like as far as location. And so some of that can be really good. 
But sometimes those nights are really hard. A night in which everything was clear for you all of a sudden became very unclear. Or made a different perspective just change drastically. This happened a few months ago for a family in my neighborhood who woke up to the police at their door to tell them that their 19-year-old son had been killed in a car wreck. And all of a sudden, the level of frustration that they've had for years with this child that they could never discipline, he'd never listened, the nights after nights of arguing and slamming doors, all of a sudden was drastically changed to where now they just long to hear a door slam in the house just to have him back. But it put everything in perspective. It changed everything for them when this new news came. But maybe it's not a night that's that, that drastic, but maybe a night in which everything to help make sense of your life, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe it's a person that you put all of your hope in and you've sound, suddenly found out that they're not trustworthy. Maybe it's a business you invested everything in, but it's now in jeopardy or it's gone. Maybe it's a thinking about God that makes you believe that nothing bad can happen in your life and all of a sudden tragedy sits right in front of you and your whole thinking is different. Well, that's the kind of night that Nicodemus is having. His entire adulthood, he has taught people how to do, how to do good things. He's taught people his entire adulthood, you've got to do good things in order to get into the kingdom of God. If you want to describe Nicodemus's occupation, he taught people how to do, how to do good things, how to be good, how to keep the rules, how to keep sacrifices, keep the Sabbath, do a lot of really good things. And if you do that, then you will earn God's love. It's a thinking that many people have. It's close, but it's not quite enough. I have this challenge, um, and it's, it's just begun again. It happens about six months out of the year, and it's when I cut my yard. My challenge is I'm going to cut my yard twice on one tank of gas, okay? Nine out of ten times, I fall two rows short. Irritates the living daylights out of me, but I still keep trying it. But I always end up short. And that's a lot of the way that we think about life. We have a lot of close thinkings, but it never seems to be enough. But yet we keep trying and we keep trying. We teach our kids in our culture, you can be whatever you want to be if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. Close, but not true. Comes from great intentions. But the reality is that if you're unable to name your limitations, you will spend the rest of your life trying to be something you were never created to be. The truth is, there are a lot of things you can never be, even if you work hard and even if you set your mind to it. You don't believe me? Guess what's back on TV? American Idol. <laughs> Lord, I have no idea why it came back. American Idol, but I'll, I'll never give you this assignment again from the pulpit, but for the next couple of weeks, watch American Idol. Here's why. 
you're going to see person after person who's been lied to by mom and dad be really disappointed. And you're going to watch people who come up. Mom and dad have told me for years I can be whatever I want to be. I can set my mind to it. And if I work hard enough and then finally somebody's going to tell them the truth, you cannot sing. And all of America is going to laugh at them. Close, but not enough. You see, Jesus tells us you're not created to be whatever you set your mind to. He tells us you're created for his glory. You're created for good works, but you have limitations. Name those limits. And then allow those to even craft you to going toward what God has created you to be, not just what you want to be. Our culture is also really big on the fact that I have rights. You ever heard that? Yeah. Everywhere we look, people are fighting for their rights. We live in a culture that no longer cares about being a vehicle to help others and to work together for everybody to have basic needs. But what we're after is getting what I want out of my life and my rights. And it's destroying our culture. Jesus would tell those that follow him, you have no rights. You have grace. You have mercy. And that grace and mercy empower you to give up your rights in order to make somebody else better. Jesus tells us, if you want to save your life, then lose it. Give up your rights. What thoughts about God do you have what thoughts of, do you have about God or Jesus or life that just, they're, they're close, but they just seem to have some missing pieces? What thinking seems to just not quite satisfy? Well, Jesus is helping Nicodemus discover his emptiness. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Well, how can this be, Jesus? Oh, come on, Nicodemus. Aren't you one of Jews' great teachers? Nicodemus, don't you know where spiritual babies come from? Do you guys know where babies come from? No? Okay, let me tell you. When a man and a woman love each other, okay, the man tells the woman, I love you. The woman does not respond, no, you don't. The woman responds, I love you too. And then they get married. They spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on pictures and flowers, food, beverages, videos, locations. They give the preacher about a hundred bucks. And they get married. <laughs> Just being honest. (laughs) Then at some point after they're married, either they decide they want to have a baby or God decides it for them. But regardless of who decides, that couple goes into a room, they close the door. Nine months later, a stork shows up on the front doorstep (laughs) with a baby. That's where babies come from. You learned something today. And the greatest stories of birth begin with an amazing love story and it's true of spiritual birth too it starts with an amazing love story for God so loved the world Nicodemus that he gave his one and only son that whoever that's anybody Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever believes, does not believe, stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. How do you have eternal life? By being born again. Well, how do you, how can you be born again? Well, it starts with an amazing love story. For God so loved the world. And out of that love, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to cover all the brokenness that man has with God. And then his son is buried. This is part of what we're turning to uh, at Easter. And we're looking at his son being buried. And then God raises his son from the dead. His son, his one and only, is born again. And if you believe, you too will be born again and not perish, but have everlasting life. Wait, I didn't do anything but believe. Yeah, that's right. God does everything else. Well, Mitch, that doesn't seem right. Seems like I should do something. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. You evidently don't know where babies come from. What does a baby do? To be born. Nothing. It's all about what mom and dad have done. Let's be honest. It's really about what mom has done. We're just dads. (laughs) So it shouldn't be too hard for us to understand that eternal life doesn't come from what you and I do. It's not about what we do. It's about believing what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. But I get why that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe for the same reason it was very, very hard for Nicodemus to believe. It was very hard for Nicodemus to believe because Nicodemus' thinking always started with God hates the world. Here's how most religious thinking starts. For God so hates the world that mankind has to start behaving to get God to love them. And the more that mankind behaves, the more God loves them. But if they misbehave, well, God hates them. And so for all eternity, it's up to man if God loves them or not. Eternal life is only gained by me behaving and keeping God happy. No wonder. No wonder we live daily wondering if I've done enough to get into the kingdom of God. No wonder people get tired of trying and they just throw their arms up and go, I can't keep God happy. No wonder people don't feel comfortable coming into a church but twice a year because all they know is that here again I'm going to hear from the pulpit a lecture on how I have to just behave better. What a horrible story. It's the story, though, of religion, man's effort to getting God to love them. Religion is simply a thinking about life that's close, but it's empty. And this is where Nicodemus' thinking ran on empty. It's close, but he falls short every time. 
For many of us, our story of God begins with when God so hated me. Can I ask you that? Does your story actually begin with for God so hates me? Or does it actually begin with this love story for God so loves you? It makes a world of difference. You see, if your story starts with, for God to love me, I don't love others to get God to love me. I love others because God has loved me. I don't forgive because uh, i got to keep God happy with me. I forgive because God has forgiven me. I give up my life for others because Jesus has given up his life for me. That's what begins with a story that starts with, for God so loved you. And so Jesus then looks at Nicodemus and says, well, there's a verdict. Verse 19, this is the verdict, Nicodemus. Light is coming to the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. You remember Nicodemus coming at night? Puts a little perspective into what Jesus is saying. So Nicodemus, are you ready to come out of the darkness? Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Nicodemus, do you want to come out of the darkness? Nicodemus, are you tired of hiding? Are you tired of performing? Are you tired of running on empty? Bigger question, are you ready to start believing Instead of just behaving. Isn't that freeing to think about? Are you ready to start believing? Instead of just behaving. I told you at the beginning I was going to give you a chance today to know for sure. If you have eternal life. Are you ready to start believing? That God loves you? Instead of behaving every day to earn his love. See, you may be more like Nicodemus than you realize. Nicodemus is the person that's got a reputation to keep. He's the person that's not willing to let his guard down in front of others. But he's also the person that can't hide the fact that what I see and hear about Jesus is very, very intriguing. I'm willing to admit that Jesus' teachings are starting to make sense. He's the person, though, that's afraid of what this change in thinking might mean for his family, his career, for the way he approaches life. He's the person here today that wants to believe but afraid of their life being changed even though they have to admit that every day my life seems to hit empty. You see, Jesus isn't revealing empty places in our lives to shame us. He's revealing these empty places to fill us. So are you ready to start believing? If you've never taken that step, if you've never taken a step to say, yes, I'm ready to start believing. In just a few minutes, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk with him. And during that time in that, I invite you to join me. And I'm going to lead you in a time where you can simply say to God, I'm ready to start believing. I don't know what all that looks like. I don't know what all that means. I don't even know what my next step is. But I just know that right now my life is hitting empty. And I'm ready to start believing. And so as I pray during that time, I'll encourage you to follow my prayer in that time. But for those of you, there are a lot of you who have begun, who began believing a long time ago. And you're in a spiritual journey right now. And you're growing up. You're getting older in that. 
But I have a challenge for you. Where have you forgotten that the story begins with God so loves this world? Where have you told yourself the lie that, no, he, he loves everybody else, but he hates me? Or who are friends and neighbors that you actually may need to go to this week and to say, I need to ask your forgiveness? I begin the story about God with you with the thinking that God hates you. And I need to tell you that God loves you. And I'm sorry for the way that I've treated you in a manner that has said to you that God hates you. Maybe you need to go to somebody like that. Or maybe this week and next week, there are neighbors and friends and fellow workers that you're going to invite to come to Easter and just telling them that, look, I know you may not believe that God loves you. I want you to come to our church on Easter. And I want you to hear an amazing love story. Maybe that's the step that you need to take. Let me pray for us.